Well, there's a lot of uh, phrases or monikers that we use in our uh, modern language to kind of uh, paint this picture that we are influenced by people around us, that, that as uh, friends, as coworkers, as parents, as kids, that we are shaped and molded, whether we like it or not, realize it or not, by the things, the people, the world, these are the decisions around us the most. Uh, recently heard uh, this phrase that I thought was just really, really good from a sermon that said, you are most likely the uh, sum total of the five people you hang around most. And some of you are like, okay, one, two, three, I don't really like that. Or maybe that's something that uh, you would really uh, uh, stick stick your hat on in a positive way. When I was a high school pastor, one of the things we would tell our students a lot was, show me your friends and I will show you your future. Because what they are doing and what they are uh, running towards is what you will eventually be running towards too. And probably the most common phrase under this umbrella is the phrase, like father, like son. It's probably a phrase that maybe you've heard before, used before. And uh, earlier this week, I saw this video clip that said, man, there's some, uh, I would like to think, some dads out there who have raised up these two young boys uh, to man in, in, in what I believe is a really positive way. So check this out. That was at a Philadelphia 76ers game. This, this dance kind of fight broke out. And the only thing I could think of is, man, whoever those, those dads are, uh, man, they deserve a high five and a hug because they have trained their sons up right. The other guy's like, I'm going to start taking my shirt off now too. Uh, it was just a great time. Uh, if you grew up in the Friedman household, one of the things that would be passed along to you or, or, or be an influence of you would be, you're not going to be super coordinated until at least middle school, if not earlier. Our son Jude uh, has a head way too big for his body. He has go-go gadget arms and legs. He kind of runs like a duck. And, uh, but like kind of the whole hand-eye coordination thing isn't a strong suit for him yet. And he gets that from my side of the family. About a year ago, somebody gifted us one of these. Uh, I think it was for somebody's birthday. And this is actually a Boppet. Okay, so this is a Baby Yoda or Grogu for those of you who are Star Wars aficionados, Boppet. So I'll prove it to you if you can hear this. It makes noises. Bop it to start. And then you bop it, which you, you kind of hit its head to bop it. And then you twist its head to twist it, which is kind of sick. And then you pull its legs. And, and, and it just kind of goes on. And so uh, the, the, the interesting thing is, is we got this game, and for like 10 minutes, my son Jude and I passed it back and forth, couldn't get past like six or seven, uh, maybe a dozen. And then my wife walks into the room, she's like, what are you guys doing? We're like, oh, just playing with the baby Yoda bop it. She's like, let me see that thing. And literally first try gets 100, and the game's like, you win. Like that was it. And so it's just something that I have influenced my son, unfortunately, just being a byproduct of part of my DNA. Now, the game Bop It is interesting because this little item has immense power and authority over you for like 
you know, the next 30 seconds to two minutes, however long you're playing. It's going to tell you when to do what and what to do. And the thing you can't do is do the wrong action or take too long. And if it does, the, the game's over. I've never seen anybody kind of look at the bop and be like, well, stupid bop it. I wanted to twist it again. You told me to bop it. You're wrong. It's just pretty much the way it goes that, that the bop it has authority for a little bit of time over your life telling you what to do and how to do it. And I want you to keep that in mind as we continue our study through uh, the, the book of 1 Corinthians is the idea of authority. Who is influencing you? What type of power uh, is kind of influencing your decision making, your worldview in your life? Because whether you like it or not, whether I like it or not, we all are under the various authorities throughout life. As citizens of this great country, we are under the authority of elected officials and laws. As somebody who perhaps has a job, you are under the authority of, of a boss or a, a boss's boss or a, a code of conduct, a handbook, those types of things. If you are in a family unit, if you have kids or you are a kid yourself, you are under the authority of uh, your parents and sometimes as parents, like, are we under their authority or are they under ours? Sometimes we don't really know and we got to figure that out. But we are all under authority in life and the same goes for us as disciples of Jesus. As members, as attenders in, in the church of Jesus Christ, we all are under authority. We can put this with it. As disciples, we are all under authority. As disciples, we're under the authority of Jesus, that he is our supreme authority. Who he is, what he done, how we are to live is modeled through Jesus Christ. By grace, through faith, we are, we are redeemed, we are reconciled to God and ushered into a new family. We are under the authority of Christ. And at the same time, too, we are now then thus under the authority of Scripture. Jesus even said himself, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Therefore, what the Bible says, what the Bible teaches, how it tells you to handle your your finances, your your families, your workplaces, how you make decisions, everything should come through here. And there's another facet of our spiritual authority that comes from our churches. And so this is where this message gets a little weird for me, is because uh, today's message talks about the role of spiritual leaders and authority. And so I'm just up here being like, okay, this is talking about uh, one of my roles, my responsibilities. And there's a lot in this text that speaks directly to me. And then there's a lot in our text today that will speak to our entire church. But there's a spiritual authority. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus, you also have a spiritual authority over you. And here at First Christian Church, that spiritual authority, first and foremost, under Jesus and under the word of God, rests with our elders. And then in some degree, myself and our staff team has spiritual authority over you. And it's awkward because I'm just like, okay, let me tell you about my authority today. Like, I don't really know how to preach that type of message. At the same time, you might be kind of checking things out. Maybe you've got some church hurt in the past from a different congregation. Maybe you're new to this concept of faith and Christianity or you're just exploring it. And you're like, wait a second, I don't get to choose and make my own decisions. My answer to that is like, well, kind of. But there is a way that Jesus has established through the word of God of how we are to manage our lives. So 1 Corinthians chapter 4, we're going to finish chapter 4 this morning. You can begin turning with me there. We've been diving through this book kind of section by section. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, it's the seventh book 
of the New Testament, and we wrap up chapter 4 today. Up until this point, the Apostle Paul, he's kind of uh, writing back to this church that he started about a year and a half to three years ago, saying, hey, we need to get some some things straightened out. And the problem was occurring is that that specific church was facing disunity because the, the, the church members, if you will, were following after certain leaders and not others, undermining other ones. It's like, okay, well, I like Paul, but you like Apollos. Well, I'm only going to listen to him and not him. Or I'm going to listen to to Cephas and I'm going to write off. And Paul is kind of directing them back saying, hold up, disunity in the body of Christ is never something that we need to see or have because Christ has unified us all and especially under the spiritual authority that is the name of Christ. But one of the benefits of how we do our, our preaching, going through books of the Bible, means we can't avoid these uncomfortable passages. And maybe you're like, that's uncomfortable for you, not uncomfortable for me. This passage is uncomfortable for me. But because we value the whole entirety of the word of God, when we hit these passages, we preach through them to the best of our abilities. So we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, join me here. Um, and we're starting verse 1, and then we're going to skip to verse 11. So the Apostle Paul, he begins by saying this. He says, this then is how you ought to regard us, us being the spiritual leaders, the preachers of that time, as servants of Christ. Josh, last week here, she did a phenomenal job of someone who was modeling somebody who rose after Jesus in Jesus' boat as one who was leading others. And, and we are those who have been entrusted with the mysteries of God that have been revealed. Skip to, with me to verse 11. So Paul then goes into kind of the tension that he's feeling. He says, to this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth. Whenever I read that, I always think of the little rascals. You are the scum between my toes. Love, alfalfa. Okay. We are the garbage of the world right up until this very moment. Kind of what's going on is Paul's writing to this church that he started, to these, uh, these Christians back in Corinth who are causing disunity over who is their leader. They, I want to follow him, not him. I want to follow him, not him. And what he's saying is a lot of them were making false uh, assumptions about Paul's ability to lead because of his external circumstances. They're saying, Paul, you're poor. You have to work really, really hard. You've got a lot of physical turmoil going here. Clearly, God is no longer with you. If you were God's servant, if you were truly rowing for him, then why would all this stuff be happening? And Paul kind of writes to say it's actually the opposite. Because Jesus tells in John chapter 15, the more you begin to look uh, Christ-like, the more you begin to act in the ways of the gospel, not the ways of the world, actually the world will start to hate you. The world will begin to persecute you. The world will think you are crazy. And so Paul is writing to say, hold up, don't judge me based on my externals, which you see. You don't even know the whole picture or story of who I am or what I am going through. But he says, let me remind you. Church, let me remind you of the weight that comes with being a spiritual leader. You see, leading and living for God oftentimes means doing things backwards. And this applies to me. This applies to you. This applies to our church. And Paul gives examples here. He's he's coming out of this section that he says, don't consider yourself wise in your own eyes. Don't listen to the wisdom of the world saying, discover your truth. In fact, make Jesus your true north. Consider yourself foolish so that you may follow the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Don't boast in your strength. In fact, boast in your weakness. The world is going to say, build yourself up by your bootstraps, but in the gospel, in the kingdom of God, what we do is we celebrate our weaknesses because that's where Jesus makes us strong. Just honor your authority. Don't work to be subversive or undermine. Work hard and diligently. Don't try to take the easy way out or become lazy. He says, when somebody slanders or gossips you, you don't return it. You don't speak harshly back. Instead, you speak kindly, gracefully. As, as Paul says later in Romans chapter 12, you will heap burning coals upon them. Treat them kindly. He says, when you are treated poorly, you endure. The world teaches us as soon as, as something gets hard, you, you, you quit. You bail out. And Paul says, for the sake of the ministry, for the sake of the gospel, we endure as leaders and we endure for the sake of our ministries. And so Paul is writing to say, let me just remind you, church in Corinth, there is a weight that comes with being a spiritual leader. And so this is kind of where I said this is kind of awkward for me because one of the, 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 the applications of this is just to say, okay, to, to those of you out here today, part of being a good church member, a church attender, a churchgoer, is to, re, to remind yourself that being a spiritual leader does come with a weight. It's not all rainbows and butterflies. There are things that we have to do, decisions we have to make. There are things that we are subject to in the word of God, even more up and above every other person. James chapter 3, that's why the half-brother of Jesus says, not many of you should presume to be teachers because you know that you will be judged more strictly. And so let me just put it here, though, and say this, is that First Christian Church, hear me when I say this, is that you are one of the most amazing churches ever. It is an amazing gift, it is an amazing privilege to serve as one of your leaders, as one of your pastors. The amount of encouragement that we receive is unbelievable. Some, so many of you go out of your way to let us know you're praying for us and you're thinking about us. Some of you bring us cookies, which is the reason I've gained like 30 pounds in the last year. It's just a great time, it's a great opportunity. So I want to say, first of all, thank you for that. And even some of you who sometimes have questions or critiques, many of those, not all, but many of them are done in very God-honoring ways. But Paul kind of finishes this section and he kind of hits this break and there's like this however moment. And if you're a parent, you know how this is about to go. This is what it is. This is the weight I've been called to. However, there's some, as he says, that we need to address. Some that we need to admonish. We need to correct some things with some correct teaching so that we can begin to see correct behavior in the future. So this is how Paul continues talking about spiritual leadership. Picking up in verse 14, Paul says this. He says, I am writing to you not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. If you're writing in your Bible, circle and underline that word children there. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, or your translation might literally say babysitters, you do not have many fathers. For I in Christ Jesus became your father through the gospel. Luke, I am your father. Listen to me. It's kind of what Paul's saying here. And he says, therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason I have sent you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with everything that I teach everywhere in every church. I love what Paul does here. And this passage is more of like me preaching to myself. Is When he begins talking about his spiritual leadership, he's like, it starts here. 
He starts with me. He places a weight upon himself saying that, that I need to be someone, Paul says, that, that is worthy of being imitated. Somebody who is worthy of being followed. Follow me as I follow Christ. And so if you ever want to know, is a leader worth following? Is the spiritual authority in your life someone that you should go after? Don't ask who are they. Ask is Jesus being exemplified in their life? Is it clear that they love Jesus, follow Jesus, know Jesus or not? And this isn't like some sort of a, uh, be, turn, turn a blind eye or, or, or be brainwashed. But Paul is saying there is a level of leadership that comes with our churches to our, our people. And Paul says that, that the spiritual leaders are like spiritual parents, not like guardians. This is 10,000 guardians. This is this word that means like babysitter. You know, when, when people come over to babysit our kids, if my wife and I are going on a date, I always say there's one rule. And the rule is simple. Just make sure my kids don't die, okay? Give them as much sugar as you want. Let them watch as much television as they want. Just make sure they don't get hurt or die, but really just make sure they don't die. We can figure that out later on if we've got to take them to the hospital type of situation. But as soon as I step into the scene, my job as their father isn't just to make sure that they don't die, but it's to raise them up to train them, to see them grow, to see them mature. There is a greater weight to being a father than a babysitter. A couple weeks ago, uh, my wife and I had the opportunity to go to Florida for a couple days to visit with her family. You can't go to Florida with young kids and not go hang out with Mickey Mouse, correct? And so we went to Disney World, and, uh, and this day was like for the grandparents because all the grandkids were there. And I just told myself, I was like, we're not going to go on many rides. It's going to be like, we're, gonna, we're here to take pictures, and we'll squeeze in rides whenever we can type of situation. And, um, and so we, you know, all, just all these pictures. And we're early into the park. We're taking, again, a bunch of pictures. And I have this brilliant idea, so I call my son uh, over to me. Let me just say, okay, uh, I don't know, if you guys are, like, guys in the room who are my age, uh, maybe they still do this today, but do you guys remember playing the circle game? Do you guys know what this is? Some of you are like, oh, yeah, I don't want to admit it. But, so it was pretty simple. When I was a stupid junior higher, you do this to your friends, and then if they look at the circle, it means you got to punch them. In the arm, not the face. And that's just the game we played. It was dumb and stupid. And so I pulled my son Jude over, and I get down on one knee, and I'm, like, telling him, like, all right, hey, buddy, it's a big day. you got to smile. But for every picture... I just want you to do this in every picture today. And he's just like, okay, so let me show you some pictures just of how our time at Disney World went. So here's my son Jude, and you can see right here this signal. And literally every single picture all day. You guys can scroll through to the next ones. So here he is, just all day. This one's a little more subtle, a little bit more subversive down there. There's a couple other. Yeah, this one is just right there. Waiting for you. You can't miss it. And then, yeah, this was the last one. He's just, he's flashing that symbol proudly. And that's all that it took, okay? All it took was me having a five-second conversation with my son that just said, do this in every picture. He didn't ask why. He just did it. Because I'm his dad. And I will never lead him astray. Raise up a child the way he should go, people. And that is the influence that Paul is saying that spiritual leaders have over the people in their flock. The elders, the pastors, even some of you, if you are group leaders, you work with our kids or students, as, as a spiritual leader, are you somebody worth being imitated? It's the Greek word mimitas. It means to literally to mime. Now, mimes freak me out. They put paint on their face. They get stuck in an invisible box. I'm just like, whatever, I don't have time for you. I move on. 
But Paul is saying that as a spiritual leader, I live my life in a way, I am so confident that you can mimic exactly what I do and you will still follow Christ. And so the role for myself, the role for our elders, first and foremost, the role for our pastoral team is to have those lives above reproach, to be living lives following Jesus to where there should be no question that if you act how we act, if you manage uh, your money how we manage our money, if you make decisions how we make decisions, if you follow every single thing that we do, hopefully, not always, we're not perfect, but hopefully it will put you on the path to living more like Jesus. So it begs the question early on, Who are you miming, especially in your faith? Who are you following? Who are you listening to? Who are you mimicking with your spiritual walk in Jesus? Paul wraps up chapter 4 and picking up in verse 18. He says this. He goes, but some of you, some of you have become arrogant. You know as Paul started, he says, I'm writing to you not to shame you, but to warn you. The role of a parent sometimes is to bring love and grace and truth. Other times it is to bring discipline and accountability. He said, I'm not uh, to, to shame you, but I'm coming because I, I, I love you. Because it is my job, it is my responsibility. As if, he says, as if I were not coming to you. Because he's writing from afar. He's like, I'm going to get there soon enough. I'm going to ride in and then we're going to have this conversation face to face. But he says, but I will come to you very soon if the Lord is willing. And then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline? Or shall I come to you in love and with a gentle spirit? So Paul is what's kind of, he's pulling, and he's saying, he's like, some in this church, they've become arrogant in the way in which they are undermining the being submissive uh, about Paul's leadership, about what he is doing, what he's saying, this is who God has called you to be. And because they are creating disunity, he's saying, which do you want? Do you want grace and truth, or do you want the rod? I can give it to you both ways. You see, power, or sorry, authority is oftentimes assigned. It is granted from somebody else, but power is something that must be provided. It reminds me of this story I heard this week about a, there's a rancher who had this big old ranch and the state department wrote him this letter and said, hey, we need to come test a lot of the water and soil samples because we're getting some stuff in, in our water downstream that we think might be coming from you, so we need to check things out. And the rancher says, no problem, send somebody out. So this man from the State Department shows up, and uh, the rancher's like, okay, cool, yep, you can, you can go wherever, you can go there, you can go in that house, you can go in that barn, it doesn't matter. But you see that fence out there, you see that fence off in the distance, and he's pointing to it, and the, and, and the guy from the State Department's like, yeah, he's like, if I were you, I wouldn't go over that fence. You might not, and, and the, the guy from the State Department just cuts him off. He, says, he starts tapping onto this badge that he's like, you see this badge right here? And the rancher says, this badge gives me the authority to go wherever I want. And the rancher says, okay, your choice. And so the man goes about his business. He, he's testing the well and the wire and taking soil samples. And then he, he gets to that point where he's like, I'm going to go off into this. And he hops over the fence. And he, he's going through the tall grass. And he's about halfway out. And he's like, mumbling to this rancher telling me where I can and can't go. Does he not know the, the power that I have in this badge, the authority? And so he's taking samples. And then he looks up and he sees this bull charging to him. 
And he starts to freak out. He's like, okay, I don't know, I don't, I don't know how to handle or manage a bull. And so he thinks maybe the bull's just gonna come like sniff him and check him out. And the bull's clearly wanting to harm him. And so he starts yelling, whoa, whoa, bull, whoa, bull. And he's just charging straight for him. And so he starts running back to the fence and screaming for the rancher, I need help, I need, your bull is after me. And so the rancher stops what he's doing and he runs to the fence and he gets up and he sees and then he, and he says to the man, he says, have you tried showing him your badge yet? It's funny because there are people in our lives that step in saying, look at my badge. But that doesn't always mean that they have the right power or that they have earned it to speak. And Paul writes to this church in Corinth to say, be very, very weary of somebody who is flashing a badge when they have not earned it from the word of God or for the spirit of Jesus. You know, as, as, as a spiritual leader, one of the biggest things, you know, I've had a def- couple different roles in our staff. One of the things is I was unaware of the weight that comes in the position that I sit in. One of the things we tell when we bring people onto our staff, especially if they're not coming from a previous ministry position, is there is a weight, there is an expectation of how you live your life because we are called to it in Scripture. Not just because we think it's a good idea, but because Scripture says if you're going to be a spiritual leader. Our elders, the way in which they bring on new elders and spend time with them for almost like a couple years sometimes, training them, telling, hey, this isn't a board that just makes decisions. You are called to pray, to protect. You are called to do things that guard this flock. And one of the hard things sometimes being a spiritual leader is to find that balance between grace and truth of love and protection, you need to feed, you need to direct, you need to encourage, you need to correct, you need to show love on one side, you need to hold accountability to other. And the same goes in our parenting, right? If you have a parent, or if you are a parent, or maybe uh, you're familiar with a parent who shows no discipline or accountability to their kids, we would all probably say, yeah, not the best parent. And the reverse is true. If there was a parent who was all discipline and all accountability with no, maybe perhaps love, grace, understanding, we'd also say, not a good parent. But being a good leader is like being a good parent. You need to know when to do which. And sometimes the hard part is when the kids say, well, I don't want to be disciplined. I'm sorry, that is what the role requires. I don't want to be held accountable. I'm sorry, that's what scripture tells us to do. And sometimes in, in leadership, and you might feel this if you're a parent, maybe you, you run a company, maybe you have employees, it's like, how do I care for people on one side while at the same time too manage that notion that there are things that have to get done? And that's why Paul says, how I live is so important. How I live, how I manage my life, my faith, my decisions is of the most importance. There's a group of uh, theologians who wrote a commentary on 1 Corinthians called the New International Commentary of Theology on this. And one of the editors, he wrote this. I thought it was a great, uh, uh, great line on this text. He said, leaders are to teach, leaders are to model, and leaders are to admonish. And I know many who give room for the first two, but not the third. It is very popular to want a life of independence, of self-dependence, and self-direction as much and as often as we can. I often see that people skirt the authority found in the word of God because it goes against their feelings or their opinions. So be weary of someone who encourages you away from the unity that Christ has called all towards. What I just want to say to this is that I don't think Paul is saying, if I say jump, you ask how high. Paul is saying that you should trust 
my life to the Corinthian church. And in a similar way, the way I seek to live my life, the way our elders seek to live their lives, and the the way in which we hold our staff to is to say, you should feel comfortable modeling how they go about life. And if you ever get to a point in which you don't feel like you can, if you ever get to a point in which you feel like I'm not sure, Scripture says this is how you have these conversations. It says it in Matthew 18, so on and so forth. But that does not negate the responsibility sometimes as leaders' decisions that we have to make. Now, in a quick aside, I think I can say that, that there are pastors, there are leaders, there are churches who have abused their power. Absolutely, there has been. There have been people who have done heinous things in the name of Jesus and Scripture to enslave others or create oppression, most certainly. There are certain leaders who have been absolved in the name of grace when they should have been held accountable much more sternly. Well, I just want you to know the way that we manage things here provides such a great opportunity to lead you all so well. So, like, we don't have one person in charge. You know, over the last uh, season of the life of our church, we've been shifting some of the things to say the one thing we do not want and the one thing that does not exist, we don't have one person who has the ability to call the shots on their own. We have a plurality of elders. We have five men right now who meet with a regular basis to say, where's our church going? Where are we heading? Where are the big decisions we need to make? And then on staff, if you were to visit our staff meetings, very rarely, if ever, no decision is made in a vacuum to say, okay, well, I don't care what you guys think. This is what I've decided. And we do that because Scripture says there is wisdom in a plurality of voices. In, in, in my past, you know, when I was younger, when I, especially when I was first in ministry, you know, if you're like in your 20s, you think you know stuff, you don't, okay? Let's just call it for what it is. But when I was first, like, I would see decisions that were made by the church and I would question them all the time. Like, I don't know if I would make that one. If I was in that seat, I totally. And then what I began to realize is that the more that I questioned them was actually a reflection of my heart, not theirs. Because at the end of the day, who has more wisdom? One person with their limited knowledge of the situation or plurality of men, sometimes men and women in certain contexts, saying this is what we believe is the best decision. And that's what Paul is kind of pulling them back to, saying be weary of anybody who says, here's my story and hold to it. Instead, follow your spiritual authority, but know for yourselves the word of God and how they are to live and how they are to act. So three quick thoughts as I wrap up my message today. Uh, Number one, and this thought's more for myself uh, and our team, perhaps our elders, and a little bit for you, but mainly us, is that leaders are not perfect, but there is a higher standard. At the end of the day, James chapter 3, Titus, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Hebrews, on and on throughout the New Testament, leaders, there is a higher standard for how we are to live. We are to teach, we are to correct, we are to be present, we are to show grace, we are to show love, we are to hold others accountable. And sometimes we have leaders who do some of those hats, sometimes we have leaders who do one of those hats, sometimes we have leaders who do all of those hats. But how we view our leaders, myself included, like I don't get to show up here and make unilateral decisions. And even if I could, I wouldn't, because that's stupid. We all have to ask ourselves, How I view my leadership is oftentimes how I will respond to their wisdom, to their guidance, to their correction. The author of Hebrews puts it this way in Hebrews chapter 13. Again, this is why this message is a little awkward, but this is what it says. This is the scripture. If you have a problem with it, take it up with God, not with me, okay? Hebrews chapter 13 says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider their outcome of the way of life and imitate their faith. Verse 17, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep 
watch over you as those who must give account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. At the end of the day, I am not perfect. If your faith is built on me being 100% right in every single decision I've ever made, there's the door. Like I'm just going to tell you right now. That ultimately we follow Jesus. He is the only one worthy of our praise. He is the only one who is sufficient enough to bring you salvation. But there is a higher standard for our staff, for myself, for our elders that says we ought to live differently. And sometimes that means knowing the full story and not all of the things that come along with it. And so if you ever want to ask yourself, well, how do I know? Eric, how do I know of how you go about things? How do I know about our elders? How do I know about one of the other staff members? If they are living a life honorable, worth imitating. You ready for this? It's really simple. Read this. Know this book. It's pretty obvious because it says this is how you handle decisions. This is how you handle disagreements. This is how you go about living your life. This is how you handle tension. This is how you handle relationships. This is how they should be raising their kids. If you ever want to have the question of am I doing my job and leading you well, read this. Read this because this will give you everything you need to know. That is the first point. And I get it. It's awkward. I'm preaching to myself. Okay, now the stuff for you guys. Your turn. Number two. Here's the second point. Is consider who's influencing you. Somebody is influencing your life. Somebody is influencing your thoughts. Somebody is influencing your worldview. Somebody is influencing what you do with your time, your value, priorities, your money. Who is it? And ask, what's the power that backs up that authority? Are they influencing me towards Jesus or are they influencing me with their seat? Are they influencing me with the word of God or are they influencing me because they make the amount of money that I want to make? Are they influencing me out of their love for Jesus or are they influencing me out of emotion? You know, one of the things in college they always said to us is check your sources. Check where you're getting your information from and the same applies to us. As followers of Jesus, as disciples of Jesus, who is influencing you? And always be able to stand back and objectively say, is this person influencing me towards them or are they influencing me towards Jesus? And sometimes that means the hard stuff. Going back to this idea of a parent-child relationship. Is the person who's influencing me not just giving me what I want to hear or what I know, are they also willing to give me the hard truths and hold me accountable? Like I, I could, you know, The hardest thing about being a parent is having to say nice things to my kids when I don't want to. But it's my job, it's my response. And then the opposite is true. Is every time we have to discipline one of our kids, and what we've learned is we have to discipline them differently, another conversation for a different time, is that's like, that breaks my heart, but it is my responsibility. Because what I don't want is when my son or my daughter grows up to be a poor reflection of me. Who is influencing you in your life, in your faith, and in your decisions. Number three, I'll close with this one. And this is really bad grammar, so don't follow me on this. But it's work towards being a worthy follow. Not a Twitter follow, not an Instagram follow. A worthy follow, a worthy person to say, imitate me. Jesus constantly said to his disciples, follow me. Deny yourself, pick up your cross, come after me. Be my disciple, be my apprentice, be covered in the dust as I am your rabbi. Are you a worthy follow or not? Because there are people who are looking to you, who are following you. If you claim to be a disciple of Jesus, a Christian, there are people in your workplace who are watching you. 
Every decision you make, how you handle certain circumstances, certain conversations, they are watching you. And this isn't to say you better be perfect or else. But even when you're not perfect, how do you respond? Do you respond by building up more walls or do you go apologize? Do you seek forgiveness, reconciliation? Are you working towards being a worthy follow? Parents, if you're a parent in the room, do you want your kids to grow up to parent how you have parented your kids? My family, we have like this account that we just pour a lot of money into for counseling services for my kids or adults. No, I'm just kidding, we don't really do that. But it's a good idea, am I right? Because at the end of the day, I, I want my kids to be able to grow up and say, yep, Dad, I want to raise my son the way you raised me. If you are a servant here, you are one of our staff members, one of our elders, if you're a group leader, if you work with our kids, our students, do you want them to grow up to be like you, how you make decisions, how you honor your time, your talent, your finances? Do you want them to follow Jesus as you are? My wife's a teacher. And I know some of you teachers are first and foremost, thank you, because it's like the hardest job in the world. Nobody says thank you enough. Like one of the things that she asks is like, hey, if I have a student who wants to be a teacher when they grow up, I want them to say, I did it like Ms. Friedman did. She wants to model not just that they learn information, but how to do that well. If you're a friend, hopefully you have many friends, close friends. Do you want people to be the type of friend that you are? Who lifts people up instead of tear them down? Who speaks pure and goodness and unity over people instead of, of, of backsiding or, or gossiping or whatever that may be? As an employee, if you ever owned a company, would you want somebody to work how you work? We are all being influenced, but at the same time, we are all called to work towards being a worthy follower in our life. As we move to a time of communion this morning, I want us to reflect on two things over the next couple minutes as the timer gets ready to come on the screen. Number one, I wanna remind us all that we are not worthy to be called sons and daughters of the one true King that the only reason we have eternal life with Jesus is because Jesus said, you are not worthy, you are not good enough, you are sinful, you are broken, but I will bring you whole. And I think sometimes we forget that, is that no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter the last 20, 25, 30, 40, 50, 60 years, are decades full of stuff that you would say, follow me, or decades full of stuff, don't do any, learn from all my mistakes. Jesus says it doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done, you have a spot at my table because I have done the work, because I am worthy and I make you worthy as a result. It's one of the greatest news is, is called the gospel. It's the good news. is what everything is built upon. And that is what we remember in communion. But the second thing is to take that good news and let it transform our lives as we follow Jesus. As we set the example. As we run at, at a pace that others follow along to say, I don't know what's different about you, but I want to know more. That your, your kids say to you, Dad, I don't know what's different about you, but I want to grow up to be just like you. The people you work with notice that there's something distinct and separate than the way the rest of the coworkers talk and treat one another. And that's not a work that we do. That is a work that Jesus does in us because he is worthy and he alone is worthy of our prayer.
as the timer comes on the screen, invite you to remember how Jesus gave of his life freely to welcome you into the family of God and to also reflect what might you be working towards to be a worthy follower. Is there something in your home? Is there something uh, with your spouse? Is there something with your kids, your workplace? What might Jesus be saying, hey, I've called you to be a worthy follow so that others can say, I am glad I imitated you in my faith. We'll leave you in this moment to pray, to reflect, and to worship Jesus Christ.